Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I am Kova. I'm Kikita Kaori, and today we have a special guest. Thank you for coming, Nick Marini, or just Nick, who is going to talk to us today about dueling. So mm, excited hello. to be here. Thank yeah. you for having me. Great. We don't have any news today, though, because yeah. there hasn't been any for a long time. No. Uh, let's get the ball rolling. We've brought you on for dueling in fifth edition of Legend of the Five Rings, largely because the real reason is where we don't know very much about it. But it so happens you do. And if you could tell us your experience with dueling and yeah, what, yeah. On the Discord server, D. Salazar has organized a couple dueling tournaments. So these are players from, I'm assuming, all around the world who are player versus player dueling. So it's a little bit different than some of the dueling you mm. might encounter just because you're playing against fully fleshed out other character. Mm-hmm. But I happen to have won the last two dueling tournaments. The first one was your typical brackets. And the Mm. second one was a round robin with a championship round. And I think there's much that I have learned from my fellow duelists. So (laughs) I would say like my build for the second tournament was absolutely informed by things I had seen in the first, but the sort of core, the core of it was was the same. I played the same character Mm -hmm. in both with just a slight variation, but they're very fun. And I encourage anyone who enjoys dueling to join us for another one. So you won two of these tournaments. Could you tell us about, especially yes. for the second one, what was your character general overall kind of technique that you used to win this tournament? Yes. The character I played was actually, much to everyone's chagrin, was a non-Rokugani character. Mm. Um, I chose the Wandering Blade. He, this particular character was, was ah. from the Burning Sands. Because it was not a player character that I was going to play on playing, I made a little reference to my main D&D character. <laughs> but the Wandering Blade is, in my mind, one of the best duelists out there just because of their ability to add opportunity to roles or exchange right. dice for mm-hmm. opportunity. Anytime you can add opportunity to any role of any kind, I think that's a very powerful mm-hmm. ability. But the core of the build is true for any school, which is that my personal belief is that in a duel, void is the best ring. And I think that for a variety of reasons that we will absolutely get into, but the core of the build, which would be true for really any kind of duel, is a void build that uses Mind's Edge from Path of Waves, which is an incredible ability. And for anyone who doesn't know, it lets you, the next time you get stressed out, receive Strife, you receive three less, depending on bonus successes. And you can extend it to your next turn, and you can keep doing it again if you get enough opportunity. I think what was interesting about the first dueling tournament was that before the tournament, there was a lot of talk about what's the meta, who's the best Mm -hmm. at at dueling and yada, yada. 
in large part, we're just having these tournaments just to answer those very questions. And the thing that stuck out to me reading through all the rules of dueling is just the finishing blow. Yeah. It is the most powerful ability in the game and anyone can use it as long as they're in a duel and get to trigger that. So I really built a character around taking advantage of that moment. I think that's what led me to victory the first time. And then I just added to that for the second one. What do you think a player should consider when they're setting up for a duel or a duelist? And this is like the stuff that's not dependent on techniques. I think for me, a duel starts way before two people are facing off against one another. Because in a game, there's a couple different ways to have duels. And there's a couple different types of duels. So I think the very first thing to think about is what kind of duel is this? Yeah. There's just a sparring duel. That's sort of a low stakes duel. There is the Shujenja duel, which is a very different thing to everything else. Because that's invoking the kami against one another. But then there's the four main types of duels. There's the Aijutsu duels. There's sort of two types. There's the crane duels, where striking more than once is frowned upon. And then there's the normal. But both of those, you can only use katanas and wakazashis. And I think there is some room to say maybe uchi katanas only because the crane talk about dueling with their clan sword, which is not actually a katana. But there's also warrior's duels. And Mm. most importantly, and I think at least how I interact with the dueling mechanics the most in the games I play, are challenges. Challenges can be very good. So it's important to know what kind of duel you're in. If you're in a challenge, do you want to issue a challenge on the first round of combat? Or do you want to throw some strife at people before you do that? Yeah. Is the Mm -hmm. thing to think about. If you're in a duel, do you have time to prepare? Is there a chance to have a downtime action before your duel? How can you take advantage of that? And then there are shuji that play into this. Unyielding Terms is a rank two earth shuji that when the idea for a duel is brought up, you can actually use this technique to determine either the method of battle or the victory condition. So before anything has even begun, you can start pushing things in your favor. Are you going to be better at an Aijutsu duel or a warrior's duel? Do you want them to be wearing armor and be able to punch you? Or is it just swords? I think that's where you could already start thinking about how you're going to go about winning. If it's to first touch, if it's literally just a first strike, that's a totally different fight and involve totally different tactics yeah. than a fight to the death. Absolutely. I think, so there's the mechanical views on like how you should prepare mechanically. Mm-hmm. Like you say, that particular Shuji, do you get downtime actions to get your strife down to zero? That sort of thing. Can you, right. Yeah, all that sort of thing. You also, I think, sometimes, and I'm, I'm not sure this is covered enough, you have to think of the wider society that you're in. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's not enough to win. Because there's another division in the duels that I don't think you quite touched on, which is the judicial versus everything else. Sure. Because there are duels that have actual legal implications. And that's different from all the others because there's a lot of social aspects. Like people are going to be really looking very hard at you 
and how you win. And that can be a big factor because you could possibly ruffle stomp them, but you'll look like an absolute monster and no one will like you anymore. Totally. Totally. And that also, I think something like a judicial duel, that's going to be the culmination of an investigation. And so that I think is another thing I didn't really touch on is who are you fighting? Who are Mm -hmm. you dueling against? The more you know about them, the better. If you know what their advantages and disadvantages are, if you have an idea of what their rings are, that can really inform how you approach the duel. Are they fire? Are they going to just try and strike you as hard as they can on the first turn? Or are they a different build that's going to maybe sit back? The more you can figure out what's their demeanor, if you're dueling an NPC, the more you can figure out informationally about them, Mm. the more both mechanically and narratively you can start to turn things in your favor. Because if you know they have a specific advantage, spending a void point to invert that is going to be a really good use of your time. As opposed to just being caught off guard by it. It was funny, in the first dueling tournament, we had open sheets. Mm -hmm. So everyone could see everyone's stuff. And for the second dueling tournament, we're like, let's not do that. Like, we should have it be secret. And then after the first fight, everyone's like, so if your focus is this and you rolled four dice for that, I know three of your four rings already. (laughs) So we quickly realized that with player versus player, that sort of hidden sheet didn't work anyway. But to your point, I do think that how you win, especially in a campaign, is actually very important. If you're auditioning to be a Kenshinzen and you start throwing punches in the fight, they're not going to take kindly to that. I remember every so often this comes up about dueling and essentially, what if I play a character who always maims his opponents and it often they don't quite get why people say that person would be hated immediately. No yes. one would like them. No one invite them to the nice parties. And I, one of the first things I said was that finishing blow is an incredibly powerful ability. Mm. But also, if you're not a Kakita duelist, yeah. you have to be really careful with that ability. Yeah, especially because... Because if that. you keep too many successes, you could kill someone you're not meaning to. And that is, a, I would say, the one, one of the downsides of the sort of fighting a duel in order to take advantage of a finishing blow opportunity, if mm. that's your tactic, mm-hmm. that is really great if you're trying to kill the person. Yes. And really terrible if you're just trying to touch them. And first touch is probably not so bad. It's first blood, I think, is the really tough one. Mm-hmm. Because you need to get a, not just a crit, because first touch, you just anytime you get a crit, yeah. that's pretty much it. Well done, you. But first blood has to be above a certain amount. Yes, the Verity 5. I would uh, argue that you could also, depending on your GM, if you inflicted the bleeding condition. That kind of feels about right, doesn't it? That, I would say that an interesting conversation about stances, because mm. if we're talking about inflicting bleeding, we're talking about water stance. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we're talking about striking first, actually water stance is the best ring. Yeah, yeah. Because you can draw your sword and then do a strike action to crit. On the first turn, which no other ring can auto crit on a first turn strike. You can't spend opportunity to crit on like a crossing blade. Water ring, I think, is not a great dueling ring 
except that at low rank, it actually, it does allow you to duel in a way that other rings don't at mm-hmm. lower ranks. But I think the conversation about victory conditions is really important. Let's say you're, if you're not really a duelist, yeah. first strike is great. You have a great opportunity. If you can win initiative and draw on water and strike, that's a great, that's a great victory condition for you to fight for yeah, yeah, when yeah. the duel is being negotiated. Yeah. First blood's kind of tough. I'm looking at it. First blood's tough. First blood's a tough one. Yeah. You, you have a fairly narrow window between I have inflicted bleeding and I've seriously wounded you and not that far away from, oh, you seem to have died. And to go back to your conversation about how you win, you also mm. have this, there's this scary situation of you don't theoretically have to keep all your successes on a fitness check to reduce a crit. So there is a world in which if you hit someone too hard, they let you, and now you're in a world of trouble. <laughs> For first blood, that's why my character in Fortune and Strife, that's a good part of why I like to draw sword and sheath, because mm. she does the finishing blow technique to try and get to that. Because she's a doji courtier, of course. She's playing the Strife game over... Yeah, yeah. Endurance because she just doesn't have the that kind of thing, doesn't have the fatigue. But with Iajitsu draw sword and sheath, uh, as long as you're not fighting two handed, you've got one, your sheath in one hand and your sword in the other. Yeah. you can call your finishing blow on either weapon, and one has a really right. low deadliness yeah. and one doesn't. So finishing blow interacts interestingly with crossing blade and rising blade as well. Mm-hmm. To me, they seemed a little similar when I first read them. And there's actually some really stark differences that I think it's important to look at. Crossing is, I, in my mind, is actually better for finishing blows. And I think that's not what you would expect because it's at TN2, whereas Rising Blade is a TN1. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to kill someone, Crossing Blade is going to be better because Crossing Blade adds damage with bonus successes and rising blade mm. does not and because finishing blow is two times the deadliness or attack action crossing blade suddenly becomes terrifying because if you get three bonus successes with deadliness five now you're at eight that gets doubled to 16 mm. whereas with iajitsu cut rising blade you're at five that gets doubled to 10 and then you add three um, so it would only go to 13. So the more bonus successes you have, the bigger difference. But even more importantly, actually, it's what and what something I found in the dueling tournament is Rising Blade is not a movement action. It's right. only an attack action. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we found in the dueling tournament, and this is another reason to think about who are you fighting and how are you fighting them. Mm-hmm. In a warrior's duel, grappling mm. is incredibly powerful. Coiled serpent style combined with open hand style is incredible. To be able to shift someone into a different ring than they want to be in and then immobilize them, that's another reason to think hard about what is this duel? Is this a duel where someone grabbing you is going to be allowed? And that was easily the characters that I had the most trouble with were characters that were pushing me into different ring, but in the dueling tournament. Because Void Ring can get you out of being immobilized by ignoring it. Yeah. Water Ring has a couple kata that allow you to remove immobilized. Mm. 
And then you can't inflict immobilized on someone with opportunity through open hand or coiled serpent. You can't inflict it on them if they're in earth. But if you're in air or fire and you get immobilized, there's no way out other than just not taking a movement action. Uh, So it can be really devastating if you're not prepared for that because suddenly they can just keep you locked in a ring. Yeah. Open hand style, after fighting the first tournament, I started to think open hand style might be the most powerful kata because of that. Because you can't resist it. Mm-hmm. A normal human can't resist it. Right. Um, so that can be nasty. But to bring it all back, we've just started to talk about rings <laughs> a little bit. When I read the dueling rules the first time, something really popped out to me. There, there are six actions that are listed in duels. Mm-hmm. Right. There's calming breath, which is a support action that you can just remove a little bit of strife and fatigue. There's center, which is a void action. So void support. Predict is an attack and scheme. Prepare item is a support. Strike is an attack. And then there's unique, Mm -hmm. right? So those are the six things they present. Unique, it's a very fun thing, but I think it's impossible to talk about because who knows what's going to happen at the tape. So now we're talking about five action. Calming breath outside of water. If you're using your turn to do a calming breath, probably not a great use of your turn. Mm-hmm. If you're preparing an item after turn one, hopefully you're in water stance and can do something else. We're really talking about three actions. Center, predict, and strike. Two of those actions interact with the void specifically. Center, you can only do in void. So now we're talking about one in three of the major actions that you can take in a duel is void specific. And predict is the opposite. You can predict someone's stance, but you can't predict void. So already just from the actions that have been handed to us, we can see that void has a real niche in dueling. You can't predict it, and it has access to an ability that no other ring has access to. And so I think predict, in my mind, is one of my favorite things about this game because it is a all-or-nothing guess. It's like this is as close to gambling as the game gets, where you go, I have an idea that my opponent is going to do this thing, and if I am right, they can't, and they get strife. That's where I think the dueling can get really fun. All right, let's take a moment and let's talk about each one of those actions. And we'll start with predict. Predict is a great way to mitigate things that your opponent wants to do. If you're fighting a rank four Kakita duelist or Miramoto two-sword guy, then they might have access to striking his void, which is going to be a whole other conversation. (laughs) But Mm. especially at the lower ranks, knowing your opponent and predicting the stance they want to take is incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. It is really good because Mm. either they don't choose the one you didn't want them to choose Mm -hmm. or they can't and they take four strike. So it's really a win-win. Except for there's one problem with it, which is while you're predicting, they're hitting you. So this is another Mm. reason that I think Void is a really great ring to be rolling in. Void has access to two kata 
One is a rank one kata, and that is Mind's Edge. And Mind's Edge really takes predict and center to new heights. So Mind's Edge is once per scene after you perform an action that doesn't require a check and are in right. void, you can make a TN1 meditation check. If you succeed, you reduce the next strike you receive by three, and you can reduce more mm. for bonus successes. And it goes till the end of your next turn. But you can spend opportunity to apply it to every effect before the start of your next turn. And you can use opportunity to be able to use it an additional time in the scene. Okay. So if you have Mind's Edge and you take a predict action, now you also get to make a meditation check this turn you're going to be reducing strife either from them strife bombing you or from the new round or from bids. Suddenly, if you get Mind's Edge off and one opportunity, mm -hmm. you don't take any strife from the first three turns. If you do it turn one, turn two, or three, you don't take any strife from the stare down. And you can bid strife and not suffer it. So you can raise your initiative if you want. And that will later interact with what I think is the Void Duelist's creme de la creme, which is Void Embrace style. Okay. And that's going to be the real answer to your question. Void's Embrace style is a rank five kata. So only your greatest duelists have this. Okay. The Wandering Blade can get it at rank four. But if you make a meditation void check in a duel or a skirmish, you can spend two opportunities. And this is similar to predict in that you choose a number, any number. And if your opponent's damage or severity of their critical is lower than the number you choose, then you failed and nothing happens. And you just get hit by the attack as normal. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if the number you chose is lower than their damage or critical severity, you reduce their damage or critical severity by that number. Ah. Which is right. incredibly powerful. Yeah. So you choose 10, they crit you for 16, you're going to die. No, you're not. You're just wounded. But it really shines if you predict it perfectly. If you predict it perfectly, their entire, even if they crit you, they don't crit you. If you reduce it to zero with Void's Embrace only, then you don't even take the critical. Like your clothes or whatever you're wearing doesn't get damaged by taking a zero crit and they receive five strife, which is incredible. That's something that also combos because it's when you make a meditation void check. If you predict or center, both of those are actions that don't require a roll. Center requires a roll, but not a check. And... Those will allow you to mind's edge, which will then give you the opportunity to voids embrace style. You can also voids embrace style off the initiative roll, which is a great way for high rank void duelists to not just get killed on the first turn, which is what starts to happen at high rank. <laughs> the other reason I think void is helpful is the more void you have, the more void points you have. There's that. Especially in what is effectively a very quick combat. Whatever ring you want to use, you have one more point in that ring by spending a void point. It really allows you to be flexible. If someone pushes you into fire stance and you have a low fire, spend a void point on whatever action you have to take in that mm -hmm. stance 
And now you don't look as bad as they thought you did. The other thing mm. is, and I think this is a really underrated ability, is using a void point to take a crit. There are plenty of times yeah. where an attack is going to deal way more fatigue than a crit severity. And sometimes, yeah. depending on the duel, it's actually better to eat the crit than it is to take all that fatigue. Before we get to talking about the different rings, I did have one more question that I wanted to talk about. What is the strength of centering? Centering is incredibly good. Mm -hmm. In center, you have to be in void stance. So again, we go back <laughs> to my personal favorite ring. I was very happy that my void build led me to success because I was doing a lot of mm -hmm. believing in it before I actually experienced it. Center, as a support action, you focus inwardly and you name a skill. Then you roll your skill dice for that skill and can reserve any number of them. Next time you make a check or use center using that skill, you can replace any number of rolled dice with those reserved dice. So let's be clear. If you roll five successes on your center and then roll mm. your skill check and roll five exploding successes, mm -hmm. you can keep those five exploding successes. Most times where you reserve a die, you're not rolling on your next check. This is the exception mm. to that rule. This is effectively giving you double skill dice on mm -hmm. your next roll with that skill, which that alone is very powerful. And that gets extra powerful, in my opinion, when you talk about right, right. that void combo I spoke of, the mind's edge with Void's Embrace, because now you can center, mm -hmm. which is not a check. Now you center in meditation, so you mm -hmm. roll your meditation skill dice. You haven't taken an action mm -hmm. that made a check, so you can use Mind's Edge, which is a meditation check. Now you have double the skill dice to work with to ensure that mm -hmm. you get the opportunity you need to continue using Mind's Edge. And so in, in mm. that way, I've had duels where I was still at strife one mm -hmm. on the fourth turn because I had reduced every instance of strife that I had taken the entirety of the duel outside of that very first one strife at round one. Also, if you know at the start of next round, your opponent is going to explode because it's turn four and mm -hmm. they're at nearly max composure, the next stare down is going to cause them to pop, you can just make a center check on your turn. You don't need to do anything. Just hit them exactly how you want. And in this way, center really allows you, mm -hmm. if you have a specific thing that you want to do, it could be a Shujenja could use it to, right. to cast a, to a spell, right? They could, they could choose theology or a courtier who's like still trying to talk their way out of this duel could center in um what, what there's that one shuji pillar of calm they could like de they could center mm -hmm. in order to de-escalate have a better chance of de-escalating it next turn it's a really good action but again both center and predict to your to your point kikita kiori the are your opponent's doing stuff right your opponent is still on the opposite side of you taking some sort of action right that obviously has to be taken into consideration but that's where I go back to if what they want to do is set up for an attack that's going to do a bunch of fatigue to you using a katana. Well, okay, 
take the crit and roll a TN1 fitness check to reduce the five deadliness of a katana. Right? And if they know that you're going to do that and they boost up the deadliness of it, then maybe take the fatigue because it's going to be less now. What I think I love about duels in this system is that there becomes a lot of mind games. There's a lot of, if I think I know what you're going to do, I can predict it or I can ignore it in a different way. And so it, it becomes a very interesting mini game. At least yeah. when you're dealing with uh, characters who, you know, with, you have some sort of idea what they're going to do. So, Yes. Yeah. But again, I think predicting fire or water are probably the, your most effective predicts. <laughs> because like you said, water at early ranks allows you to draw an attack or it, it can bleed you, which is a really tough thing to deal with over the course of a duel mm -hmm. if you're bleeding. Yet again, another reason why void is a good stance because you can ignore that condition. Mm -hmm. And predicting fire, once you start to get to rank three, people are going to start heart-piercing striking, whether they're NPCs or not. <laughs> and predict is a great way to stop that from happening. Though that was an interesting conversation. Before the first dueling tournament, there was a lot of talk about heart-piercing strike, mm -hmm. which is a very good kata, mm -hmm. but it does require you to have a weapon drawn. And so there are ways to get it off on the first turn, but most of the time, it's not a first turn action. If you see someone draw their katana on turn one, maybe mm. predict fire on turn two, just so they can't skewer you huh? and hopefully inflict four strife on them, which is always great in a duel. But the other thing I think is really important, speaking of that, so predict this effect persists until the end of your next turn. So this is actually a really important sentence. A lot of techniques have this sentence. Do you want to go first or not is actually a really big question in a duel. What little research I have done about Iujutsu dueling mm -hmm. or even just the practice of it in the real world, I think it is misunderstood by many to be a quick draw. It's like I keep saying, John Wick saw the end of that one movie <laughs> that one time and decided that all dueling is like that forever. Right. Whereas Iujutsu is more about holy crap, this guy's attacking me. I've still got my sword in my sheath. I'd best do something about yes. this. Yes, and so in what research I've done, it is not actually about drawing first. It's about no. reacting quickly. It's not always good to act first. Sometimes you want to see what your opponent looks like they're gearing up for. If they do a void check and reduce their next fire stance by one, maybe go ahead and predict yeah. fire. But also... If you predict someone, don't yeah. bid a bunch of strife and go first mm. because your predict's going to be useless now. You actually want them to go because the predict persists until the end of your next right. turn. You Ideally, it sounds like you'd you would go first, predict. You'd go first, predict them. And then them. go yeah, second exactly. the next turn. Um, something like that, yeah. But I actually do think that this game does do a good job of exploring that idea of you don't want to be the one to act, you want to be the one to react. That's inherent in the finishing blow as well. The finishing blow yeah. is you going, now is my moment. <laughs> They're trying to do something. They've gotten distracted or gotten stressed out, and now is my moment. And so I think something like predict, it's really swingy, right? If you predict wrong, you totally wasted your turn. Or the, at the most, made someone do something they weren't thinking about. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to undersell like 
when you're fighting someone and they go their turn, they go, I do nothing. And you're like, oh mm. no, <laughs> what are, what's their plan? That's a scary thing to be opposite. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, whether it's a GM or another player, they're going like, I had this whole plan, but now mm. I don't know. Do they see my plan? And I, so I think that's a really fun, that's why I really like <laughs> duels in this game because there's these sort of mind games that happen. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. that, that kind of I do nothing could be predict. It could be or predict, it could, be or it could be center. And it's really going to throw your opponent for a loop. And it's also like in the previous episode about dueling, you talked a lot about cinema. And it is two people staring and then a flurry of movement. <laughs> and I think that things like center and predict, they really do a good job of, okay, like in my mind, I'm imagining them opening this way. And so I'm going to predict that. And then they're on the other side going, oh, he knows what I'm going to do. Oh, no, I, I had to do something different. And so it really does a great job of delivering on, I think, what is intends to deliver, which is that sort of cinematic duel of yeah, two people yeah. staring and playing it out in their heads before anything actually happens. All right, I'm going to start yep. asking some questions about different kinds of duels. Yeah, please. I'm going to say a couple of different kinds of characters, and then you're going to tell me what's the best things I can focus on for one or two techniques and the approach into the fight to use those techniques to maximize my chances of winning this duel for my party. Okay? Does that sound like a good game? Yes. Yes, right. I like this game. My first one. I am the fighter. I am a crab bushi of some sort, or I okay. could be a lion, but I am generally earth ring in court mm -hmm. stuff. I do my stonewall tactics, and I generally have a lot of fatigue because I'm a big earth guy, maybe with some fire for right. backup. Mm. That's my focus. Mm -hmm. How do I go about being the duelist for my wimpy party as a manly Totally. Woman? This is literally my character at the minute, who technically has access to the title, but I have not spent any experience points on it yet. So let's hear how you would do this if you were earth guy. If I am this big old crab, mostly Earth, mm -hmm. Earth stance is a great dueling stance until you're fighting people with heart-piercing strike. Because right. that will get through your stance's defenses. Mm -hmm. So how do you counter something like that? And I would say that's where your predict actions are going to come in. It's also where something mm -hmm. like Crimson Leaves strikes are going to be mm -hmm. great. Someone can't skewer you with their sword if their sword has been disarmed. Mm -hmm. It is a rank three kata, but it's a great kata to prevent something like that. Crab are really interesting duelists. If we're talking core book, if you're the Hida, you might as well just let them crit you sometimes because you're going to yes. reduce it by so much. When I fought a Hida defender in the dueling tournament, I would just sit and wait for people to strife out. I actually attacked mm. him a couple times early to reduce the effectiveness of his armor so that he couldn't reduce my crit when I finally did it. I was just like, here's a deadliness three crit, but just to hurt your armor because I want to be able to actually finishing blow you. But if you're going earth stance, you're inherently going a little more defensive mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you're not getting bonuses, but you're also really protecting yourself from being dazed or disoriented or immobilized or, or anything. That's a great way to protect yourself. Like striking his earth is great. That's always just a great kata. Don't underestimate Lord Hita's grip either. That's a pretty easy to pull off a mobilization. 
The only other notable thing is the Haruma. Haruma are amazing because they can switch stances. So you can always attack in your best ring and then go into air or earth to defend. So my opinion, I don't know if this would work, so you'll have to tell me, is it sounds like you want to keep your armor good and you can eat fatigue if they're not backing up fire successes. So if you're going to predict, you want to keep them out of fire. And it seems to me like open palm strike early on to keep them out of fire stance as well would A, block those heart-piercing strikes, but also would mean that they're not doing as much fatigue and you can definitely out-endure them on the fatigue. Yeah, a, a Hida earth stance plus like open hand style or coiled is going to be pretty impenetrable. There's not going to be a lot of ways for people to get past those defenses, for sure. The other thing to think about is what terrain might be around. Mm -hmm. Because Earth mm. allows you to ignore terrain qualities during movement actions. Like, this would be maybe more for a challenge where they might have a duel like in water or like in the woods. Earth stance is going to be able to ignore those terrain qualities easier, which can be incredibly effective depending on the terrain you're dueling in. Okay, that sounds cool. All right, we'll take the next one, all right? This one, you are a courtier, maybe crane, maybe scorpion. You did not mean to be the party's warrior. Here you are, because that happened. This is the character I I've been there. <laughs> I just wanted to be a swordsmith. Why am I the frontline? <laughs> but this happens when you have a party and you have duels, and who knows, your mouth might get you into trouble. So crane or scorpion, air... Or air-water mix is your primary rings, and you probably aren't fighting in armor because you're a courtier. And your school and stuff benefit Shuji because they do. Right. Yes. Yes. So I would say with this build, with an in a sort of more air build, air is going to be hardest to hit. So... Taking that into consideration, there are, especially with Shuji, a lot of the air Shuji would be more applicable before a fight. That's an area where, like, you're going to want to do what you can be before the duel with that mm -hmm. to see if you can learn things. You can learn demeanors and current strife. You can, mm. on initiative checks, learn disadvantages. That's a really powerful thing from actually in the duel, air is actually the worst against heart-piercing strike because the TN to reduce the fitness for the crit is actually four for air, but it's one for water. Um, so your courtier mm. might have high ones in both. But it's important to note that with a high TN to hit you in air, if a heart-piercing strike were to miss, they become disoriented. And now that's yeah, yeah, a great yeah. opportunity to use what is a pretty nasty kata, which is Veiled Menace style, which is choose one unaware or disoriented target. They suffer a critical for mm. one up. So in air, there are a couple different kata that allow you to actually disorient people and if you combo that with veiled menace you could dance around people and crit them when they're not ready for it yeah and in terms of the shuji you know the air shuji tends to be the least combat 
oriented. Clouds parted with steel, though, is a great one. Okay. Um, especially for your scorpion. When you make a check to perform a strike action or an assault, you can spend air op basically to, to learn advantages or disadvantages. So if you haven't been able to get good information before the fight, you can still get it during the fight. So rolling your initiative in air is almost always good for getting advantages and disadvantages. If you've got a good air, that's what you want to be doing, no matter what ring you go into on your action. 100%. Yeah. The air shuji are probably the least useful for the actual duel, but mm-hmm. they are incredibly mm. useful for the pre-duel. Okay. Um, because it, it allows you to learn a lot of stuff. And you can do things like right before the duel begins, you can do a flowering deception and mm-hmm. increase the TN of the person about to duel and decrease the TN of the person who isn't about to duel. That's their second or their friend. And suddenly their initiative is going to be TN3 instead of TN1. Oh, okay. So right, like that that's, that's a great way to get the jump on them. Yeah. Cool. And then there's some water shuji that are combat applicable. Yes, absolutely. Something like eyes up is not explicitly combat, but that's going to reduce focus and increase vigilance, which can be potentially very mm. good if you want to take the first turn. And there are things that target off vigilance as well, which... It's, yeah, depending, kind of, right. Yeah, it's going to make their vigilance higher, but vigilance goes to one if they get compromised. So you can think about that. Mm. Another great shuji is ebb and flow, which mm. you can invert people's advantages. So that's like a, a great time. thing to, to start in the way. Then I think, does water have the one where you can make someone think you have a different honor Honor is something we should talk about briefly. Oh, okay. If you're tied with initiative, lower honor goes first, even in a finishing blow. I actually, because I made a wandering blade in the tournament, I had the lowest honor of anyone, which meant that I won every tie that happened. I still hate that about fifth edition because of how focus works. You're very much more likely to tie in fifth edition than you were in any previous editions where you rolled a large range of dice. You're very likely to tie. And so that rule is not just a little aside thing in a rare circumstance. No, that can happen often. And then the water kata are very good, especially being able to inflict bleeding on people is very good. That's something you're going to want to do out the gate is inflict bleeding. Crashing wave style is the one that does potential bleeding and lets you clear a condition. A flowing water clears the condition. So that's flowing water. Flowing water is a really powerful one, even as just a defensive. Because it's going to let you remove days, disoriented, immobilized, or prone. Prone is actually not really, I don't think anyone really cares if they're prone. It's not that great a condition. But water, I think, water has great openings. And obviously you can spend opportunity to be reducing your strife and reducing your fatigue, Mm -hmm. which is also great. Mm -hmm. But I think that because center is specific to void and because predict is also an attack scheme action, Mm -hmm. that extra action from water, maybe the first turn is used to prepare an item. And then every turn after that would basically just be calming breath. Right. 
I think that from a standpoint of like taking advantage of your ring, I feel like you don't get the most benefit out of your stance with water. You've got great Mm. opportunities to spend because like you said, you can reduce your strife by at least two every turn. You can remove fatigue. You can ignore resistance. That's great. But water is a great like opener. And it's, I think, especially good at early ranks when people don't quite have iujitsu skills yet. It allows you to effectively iujitsu strike on the first turn. And you cannot undersell how good it is to be able to draw and strike for a crit on the first turn. That's Mm. like, if you're in a duel to the first touch, water is so good. But I think it starts to taper off a little bit because there are ways to get around some of the things it does. With water, by the way, Utaku battle maidens are terrifying because they get bonus successes. They get a ton of bonus successes from their horses. So if you can avoid fighting an Utaku battle maiden mounted, I would highly recommend that in the fight against the Utaku battle maiden that I had in the tournament. I had them immobilized and seriously injured and they still almost took away all my fatigue, even TN five or six. Their TNs were like five or six to hit me and they were still battling through my defenses. And I was like, this is terrifying. Fire would often be your classic Akita duelist. Or if I understand correctly, I would expect a fire build to often be like a Matsu or potentially a Miramoto. But Matsu is taking advantage of your own strife in a way, at least in regular play. But so now your Matsu is in in a duel for you. Yeah, enraged is definitely a condition because you're increasing both things you take and things you deal that can really start to add up when you go from instead of being hurt to being really severely hurt because you're enraged. But it's also very powerful. Okay. Fire is obviously a very good ring. We've talked about heart-piercing strike. Just having bonus successes on things is very good. If the duel goes long, fire gets rough because you're going to have accumulated so much strife. I think if you're a duelist who's using fire... Mm-hmm then I think you're going to want to get to that quickly. Okay. If you're not going to take your opponent out in one to two turns, and you're going to be sitting in fire for three or four turns, you're going to get finishing blow. You can't close. So for something like that, obviously we've talked about heart-piercing strike. That's a great one. Interestingly, for fire actually is a soaring slice, Mm -hmm. which is where you throw your weapon. That can be very good because it has an opportunity to reduce the TN of the next attack action by one. Mm-hmm. That can help set up your heart-piercing strike or just your big attack. Mm-hmm. Also, the ability to inflict strife. If you're going to go fire, make sure, if you can, you have some item that has war gear. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to just add that little bit of extra strife their way. Also, fire... I think it can inflict days sometimes, which Mm -hmm. is very good. I think that fire is like all in, even striking with fire, right? Mm -hmm. Next time your target suffers a critical strike, increase its severity. That can be a great setup for a finishing blow if you see the opportunity coming. Mm -hmm. But especially if you've got opportunities to strike them. Exactly. I think if you're going fire, you're going to want to be going first. Mm. Because even a very good fire crossing blade, that can deal just a tremendous amount of damage. Mm -hmm. If you're rolling fire, I would always recommend 
once you've met your TN, if you have the option between getting opportunity with strife or successes with strife, I would take the opportunities. If you're doing something like crossing blades, it's going to be dealing damage equal to your deadliness. So having that opportunity go to deadliness is just going to be better because they're like less likely to want to take the crit because the deadliness is now higher and it's still effectively adding bonus successes to the damage because the damage is deadliness based. Um, so I think that's an important thing to think about with fire. You could also just look real good doing it, which going back to your conversation about what are the narrative ramifications for something like this. If you want to be impressive in your duel, fire is the way to draw attention to yourself. If you are doing a clash to duel, just hypothetically speaking, you can potentially do the challenge, right? As you're unmasking to go into the duel, which means there is a chance you can go into the duel with zero strife. If I understand it correctly, Amatsu could go into the duel enraged. Yeah, that's very powerful. And if you're using a challenge action in, let's say, a skirmish to trigger a duel, you can inflict strife on that challenge. So like Amatsu in armor who gets really mad, unmasks and challenges an opponent, they can be at zero strife and enraged and their opponent is at least three strife, which is a much better starting position for the Matsu than it is for their poor opponent. But yeah, the last ring here though that I have spoken about quite a bit, but that we haven't spoken about in this little thing is void. I've spoken about why I think Action-wise, it's incredibly good. Striking as Void is a rank five mm -hmm. kata. Mm -hmm. Incredibly good. I have mostly heard people talk about you can strike as Void, fail, change stances into fire, and then heart-piercing strike someone, which is obviously a very good combo, and mm. gets around getting your fire stance predicted because you can't yes. predict Void. We did find a counter to this in our last dueling tournament which is a rank three ritual, which we haven't talked about rituals much, but there are some very good rituals. One of the best rituals in the game, in my opinion, is beseeching Tagashi's vision. If you know that you're going to be dueling someone in the future and you have a downtime before the duel and you're in the same area as them, there's going to be a duel at court and you have a downtime before the duel and you're at the same court as them. Once per game session, you can make as a downtime activity, targeting someone you can perceive, you assess their strategy. And before the end of the next scene, when they perform an action, you can reveal that you were prepared and immediately perform one action. <laughs> that is incredible in a duel. Mm. It was very much meant, I think, uh -huh. for mass battles. But that is the only way I am aware, outside of like the Ishikin or whatever those void magic users are for the Phoenix. Beseeching Tagashi's vision is the only way to interrupt what is probably the most devastating combo in the game, which is striking his void into heart-piercing strikes. Striking his void is like a rank five, sometimes four kata, so it's not coming up all the time. It, no, this is a higher-end play, but it's very powerful. I, it's, I kind of looked at it, and everyone was going on about it, and I think, oh, it sounds awfully, awfully overpowered. Then I looked it up, and was like, oh, it's ranked Yeah, you're never... Yeah, at that point, you're supposed you're to be supposed a bit. To be awesome. Beseeching Tagashi's vision can stop that. And so, for the second dueling tournament, we had a downtime action you could take before every battle. So I chose this one, and it's incredibly effective. Having an extra turn, no surprise, is real good, but especially interrupting a combo like that is really good. The ability to have someone purposely miss in void, switch to fire, and then heart-piercing strike you, 
the ability to interrupt that is incredible. You can either push them out or you can immobilize them or whatever you want to do or just try and kill them. That's a really good technique to get in the way of someone's stuff. But the other thing I think that is interesting about Void, Void might be the stance that can inflict the most strife in a duel. Because if you were to say, predict someone's attack and then also reduce their damage to zero, that's nine strife in one turn that you've inflicted. That goes to 11 if you have war gear on. There are very few characters who are going to get to turn two or three of a duel having received that much strife in one turn. So I think for me, even something like striking is void. Striking is void requires opportunity to use it effectively. So if you have a low void and a high fire, you still need to have rolled well to get that off. But I think what I have used striking as void to do is not to take an extra action, but just to strike as void into fire stance. So you don't take any strife because the strife happens before the opportunity. You're in void stance. And then you suddenly turn all the strife you kept into bonus successes when the check resolves and you're suddenly in fire stance. And that relies on having a high void. Now, the one thing I should say about Void, it's the only drawback to it, is that it does not add to your composure or to your endurance. So it's worth noting that you probably aren't only, especially at high level, only going to be all in on Void. You're going to need some robustness there. Otherwise, while you're predicting or something like that, someone will beat you up. So I think what you're saying, Earth is probably a good counter because it'll stop those early op crits on you. Yeah. If you're going to go void, having Earth be your second is mm-hmm. a good plan. Otherwise, you're definitely in danger of getting one hit. The only other thing I had was potentially, you talked about rituals to do before the duel, pretty much no matter mm-hmm. what, in order to prepare there, for a duel. Yeah. There's a ritual that can increase the deadliness of your mm-hmm. weapon. I think it's an artisan only, but that's something like a Kakita duelist could do. I they prepare their weapon beforehand, which is going to be great. Blessings of Steel, yes, thank you. There's also the Path of Waves, Shuji Wonder's Resolve. It reduces fatigue and strife, similar to Courtier's Resolve or Warrior's Resolve. It reduces just a straight three, but it doesn't require Mm -hmm. a void point to use. So that's really good. And the other thing that I think is important, especially in talking about preparing, is those downtime activities. Fire Stance's downtime is that for two op, you can give someone else an additional downtime. So if you're not the duelist, but are instead helping the duelist, doing your downtime in fire can give your duelist an extra downtime to prepare, which can be really good. A tea ceremony is a good one because one of the things that you can do with tea ceremony, since it's a void check, is have that void op saved to lower TN for a dual activity you're going to take later, like initiative or... Absolutely. The other void downtime is you can reserve drop dice. So if you were to do something Mm. like Siege Tagashi's Wisdom, which is a meditation check, you could then keep some of the dice that you didn't use and add those to your initiative check, Mm. which is also very good. You know, we talked briefly about 
characters who aren't intended to be duelists. Offend the sensibilities is a great shuji. You could have prepared an item that you're wearing that offends your opponent. Like you take your robe off to duel and the thing you have underneath it has some image that's offensive to them uh-huh. and suddenly they begin the duel with some strife. There's cackling laughter. That's a one use, but it can inflict a decent amount of strife. And there are some funny things like the doji bureaucrat actually has the ability to inflict a ton of strife on the first turn because their school ability adds a bunch of strife. So there are some funny builds that can go out there and you wouldn't do it in front of a judge at a judicial duel, but outside Hmm. you might just say something to someone and inflict a ton of strife. Earth is not known for inflicting strife, but mm-hmm. the fierce badger style of the badger clan oh, okay. actually does inflict strife, which is one of the few strife inflictors that fire. aren't fire-based. It's not Earth-centric, but it's often used by mm-hmm. Earth's characters. But if they're immobilized, you can inflict strife on them. Mm. And that's an opportunity mm. use, and it's an opportunity plus. There's one title probably outside of Kenshinzen and... Kensai, Sword Saints. What we found is, especially for Warriors Duels, Mm -hmm. the Yuriki title is incredible. Mm. Because most times where you're flipping something, you're taking fatigue. Like Mm -hmm. the Yokoto Soldier and the Wandering Blade can turn dice into Mm -hmm. opportunity, but they suffer fatigue for it. The Yuriki title turns successes into opportunity if you want to. And so if you were to hit someone with Coiled Strike and Fierce Badger... You could immobilize them for two opportunity and then inflict as many strife as you have remaining opportunity, which is incredibly powerful because in a duel, sometimes you don't care about dealing damage. You just want to inflict strife because you'll be able to deal more damage if they get compromised. So if you have a party, you got one of these judicial duels coming up, Mm -hmm. no matter what your party configuration is, now you're in a situation where your duelist, whoever that is going to be, is key member of the team because they're going to do the duel. But it's not just the duelist that has set it up. So what you could do is have some people going out and seeing if they can find out demeanor, disadvantages or advantages of the opposing duelist. That's a good start. You can have people who are preparing the duelist. For example, if you have a fire kind of courtier who's able to prepare the duelist, they can sew you that offend the sensibilities kimono and give you an extra downtime. And then what the duelist would be doing would be focusing on those void uh, techniques, making sure you're full up on void points, pursuing whatever it is that happens to be your void caches, and also using those void ops to lower target numbers later in the game. Speaking of preparing, is the ritual Beseech Hita's Might, which is a fire ritual, but it's an interesting ritual. It's either a downtime activity or a support action. (laughs) It either takes a really long time or is instantaneous. And the support action would be more for like, there's a duel happening on the field of battle or there's been a challenge or something. But the area within three range bands becomes an arena. And anyone who makes a martial arts check and doesn't gain strife from the check reduces their TN by one of their next check. So every time you make a check, the TN of your next check is reduced by one as long as you didn't get any strife. It can also hollow the area. It can 
increase endurance and composure of everyone fighting a duel within it, and it can reduce checks to remove bleeding and dying. But again, even this, which is Hito the crab guy and it's a fire check, what ring does it help the most? Void. Because you're never going to be taking strife in void. So if you're playing a void character, then you would always want to beseech Hita's might if possible. Because it's going to help you way more than it's going to help your opponent. And it's a fire check. So you could have someone be like, here, I'm going to prepare the duel and train you. And suddenly you, the duelist, get two downtimes and your courtier friend has created this incredible stage for you to thrive in. And if you are taking these downtime actions to prepare, it is worth remembering that your opponent should be taking downtime actions to prepare. So another thing that you can do is with something like Stonewall Tactics, you can have somebody running interference and making it much harder for them to detect that stuff off of you. Totally. And that's one of the things I loved about your the previous dueling episode that you guys talked about was these big Ayajutsu duels, whether they're judicial or not, that's the highlight of a few sessions typically. And the event of a duel can generate a lot of role-playing opportunity preceding it. And depending on what the duel is about, there's even something like Beseech Doji's Wisdom. You can write about it afterwards and give more glory to whoever won or whatever you want to do with that sort of funky but fun ritual as well. But yeah, I think the big takeaway for me about dueling is just that there's the before the duel is, can be as important as the duel itself. And honestly, especially more fun for other players. Yes. I think we've been talking about this for a while and we really should wrap it up. Mm. But it has been so fun talking to you. I hope that our listeners have learned something or at least have some thoughts brewing. We're all going to see in the next Dueling Tournament that comes around, 57 Void Build. Please, (laughs) uh, yeah, please, anyone, this is by no means the absolute. This is just my particular experience from these couple tournaments. And please, I would love to see more and interesting different builds coming in next time we do it. And thank you to D Salazar for organizing them. And thank you both so much. This has been fun. I wanted to give a shout out to our sister podcast and patrons, our call out to Fortune and Strife, which is our affiliated actual play podcast, as well as our friends at D20 Radio. Our content is funded by the community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website where we can store and see longer term information Summaries of the podcast, we have RPG tools there. For our Patreons, we try to have special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our AP podcast, and other things when we think of them. Online, you can find us at our website, courtgamespod.com. We are on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And if you want to support what we do, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash games. That's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korval. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy.
Radio, where gamers roll.